So we're in a series called Engage, and we're focusing on how we can share our faith with others. So this is another one of those sermons in that series. Let me just remind you what Jesus has asked us to do. Here's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. So making disciples is something we've been told to do by Jesus, and not just disciples of people just like us. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, people of all religions and persuasions. Go and make disciples. I hope you're doing that. Here's Jesus, his version in John's gospel. Well, John's gospel of, John's version of the Great Commission, rather. Jesus appears to the disciples and says, As the Father has sent me I in, into the world, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit, be empowered. I'm, you sent into the world. So, so there's no doubt about it. Jesus wants us all to be involved in sharing the gospel with other people. And if you've ever tried to do that, you will know it is no easy task. It's one thing to be brought up in a Christian household and from the age of three to have the gospel explained to you, and that becomes your worldview. That's wonderful when that happens. But when someone has lived all of their life for, for 30 or 40 or 50 years, and they've had a particular worldview or a particular faith, they're, they're a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, an, an atheist, and now you share the gospel with them, that is a very difficult thing for people to change, to stop believing things that they've believed for, for years and to start believing new things. We're asking people to change their entire worldview and to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives and their God. This is no small task that we have. A few weeks ago, Two weeks ago, I shared from Acts chapter 17, and we looked at, at, at what that passage has to teach us about sharing our faith. And we saw from Acts 17 that there's no one right way to preach the gospel. Every time the apostles preached the gospel, it was slightly different. The gospel is too big and, and beautiful and, and complex to be distilled to four simple sentences or to a set way of, of sharing it. Paul's uh, whole methodology was to adapt the gospel message, to take an aspect of the great big gospel and share with whoever he was with what they most needed to hear about the gospel. And this is the famous passage, 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I become all things to all men that I might win some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. Our passage today which I'm going to take us through, is Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. 
and I'm amazed at how profound this passage is and just how much it has to say about sharing our faith. So here we go. I always like it when the passage is so neat you can fit it on one slide. (laughs) Makes my life a lot easier. Here we go. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. There's often a bit of a cost involved in sharing the gospel. For Paul, it meant getting whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, going without food, spending a couple of years in prison. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I've got four main points today. And the first is this. It's about prayer and the advance of the gospel. Do you notice how many times Paul refers to prayer in this passage? He says, be devoted to prayer. Pray that God may open a door for the message. Pray for me that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And we can understand Paul encouraging Christians to be devoted to prayer. I mean, prayer is pretty important. But what surprises me in this passage is the two specific things that Paul asks for prayer for. Here's the first one. He says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message. What does this request tell us? It reminds us that the advance of the gospel is a spiritual thing. It is a supernatural thing. People are not going to become Christians unless God draws them to himself. Jesus said as much. Paul recognizes he can't do evangelism in his own power, with his own wisdom and his own strength. He says it's a spiritual thing. We need to pray that God would open a door for the message. There's something God has to do before the message goes out. Sharing our faith is a God thing. It's something that that God needs to lead in. It's about God opening doors. It's not just, I go out and share the faith. It's a little more nuanced than that. Pray that God may open a door for our message. Sharing our faith involves God. I love this passage about Lydia. She was a successful woman in the fashion textile industry. And she had a little prayer group. And one Sabbath they were down by the river because it's just a nice place to pray. And Paul showed up, also looking for a nice place to pray, and he preaches, and we're told in verse 14, 
the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It wasn't she was listening and she thought Paul was a nice guy and was persuaded by his, his wisdom. No, there's something that went on in Lydia's heart. The Lord opened her heart. And friends, this is how people become Christians. It's because the Lord opens their hearts. The Lord does a work in their lives. We see the same thing. We learn the same thing from 1 Corinthians 3. In this passage, people are saying, well, I follow this guy. This one's my hero. I love this one. And in verse 6, Paul makes the point. He says, look, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But it's God who makes it grow. When we're sharing our faith, we all play a role. Some of us have great testimonies. Some of us can explain the gospel better than others. Some of us can, can heal the sick and, and do miracles better than others. And we all do our little bit, but we must never forget at the end of the day, it is God that makes it grow, that seed that goes out. It's God that opens hearts, God that makes it grow. When people come to faith, it is a, a divine accomplishment. This is why Paul says, pray for us that God may open a door for the message. There's a demonic, satanic opposition to the advance of the gospel. There are unseen powers and principalities resisting, opposing, deceiving people. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about how there is a veil that covers people's hearts. They can read scripture and not get it. There's just not happening. We have to pray that the veil will be taken away. What also amazes me is the second thing that Paul asks for prayer for. Here it is. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Isn't this utterly remarkable? The Apostle Paul who's been a Christian for at least 15 years by this time, who's, who's planted and started many churches, who's performed miracles, who's, who's a, perhaps, the, perhaps the greatest apostle of all time, who wrote nearly half the New Testament. Luke wrote the most. But Paul, this great apostle, has to say, will you pray for me that I would be able to, to proclaim the gospel clearly as I should? And all I can say is that if the man who wrote the book of Romans and Ephesians and Colossians and on and on and on. If he had to ask for prayer to be able to share the gospel clearly with people, how much more do we need prayer and God's help 
to share the gospel clearly. Friends, there is so much unclear gospel preaching today. I think never before has the gospel message been so butchered and savaged, twisted and distorted as today. Many mainline churches are no longer preaching the gospel. They've become, they've become museums to the past or, or institutions for social action. Many mainline churches are even taking that which the Bible proclaims to be sin and upholding it as a good thing. What Paul prophesied about in Romans chapter 1 has come true. Although they know God's righteous decrees, they not only continue to do the wrong thing, but also approve of those who practice them. Many churches have lost sight of what the gospel is. That it's about people can have a relationship with God and have their sins forgiven and not experience and abide under the wrath of God for your entire life. The gospel is how you can be freed from the wrath of God, brought into a relationship with God, have your life sorted out and spend an eternity with Him all because of Jesus' death on the cross as a substitutionary atonement for us. That's kind of what the gospel is all about. And there are many churches where you will not hear that preached anymore. In fact, what you will hear preached is kind of different. Paul says, pray for me that I might preach the gospel clearly as I should. How are some of the ways that the gospel message is distorted in our day? Well, they're, they're all the historical distortions of the gospel, having to do with who Jesus is, just a good man, not really a man, kind of a man. There's the distortions about the atonement, with some theologians these days referring to Christ's death on the cross as divine-sanctioned child abuse. The prosperity gospel is a huge distortion of the true gospel. It's the gospel packaged to appeal to human greed. The gospel is, a, is about denying ourselves, repenting of sin, taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. Do you know that the gospel says, and this might come as a surprise to you if you haven't read through all the gospels lately, the gospels actually, Jesus said, unless you are willing to give up everything you possess, you cannot be my disciple. You're not going to hear that from certain prosperity preachers, I can assure you. For them, it's all about how can I get more, that the true gospel is all about how can I give away more. There's another very subtle distortion of the gospel taking place these days, and I'm almost fearful to mention it. Will you all promise not to hold it against me? Can I have a show of hands? 
And I think there's a danger today of making, of, of making social justice the main thing. And social justice is so important. And as Christians, we believe in restitution. We believe in justice and fairness and helping people and helping those in need. But the gospel is about much, much more. And we can't allow the essence of the true gospel to become just a footnote in the, in the wider movement to make the world a better place. Paul says, pray for me that I might be, be clear in how I share the gospel. Moving swiftly on. I was also struck by this phrase, point two, how Paul speaks about the gospel as being the mystery of Christ. Pray for me that I may share the mystery of Christ clearly. Why does he, he use this peculiar phrase? How can Paul, after being a Christian for 15 years, still have the gospel as a mystery to him. Oh, Christ is a mystery. Here are, here are a few ideas as to why Paul uses this phrase. In the Greco-Roman world, there were many religions that were categorized as being mystery religions. In other words, these were religious belief systems, almost like cults that you could join, a little bit like Freemasonry. As you entered, you'd be let into different secrets, and you only were in on it if you were part of the religion. And there were mystery religions. So when Paul talks about the mystery of Christ, he could be having a little dig at all these people into their mystery religions. But maybe there are other ways to understand his use of this phrase. Maybe it's because the true identity of Jesus really is a mystery, and unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, you're just never going to know it. Maybe that's the sense in which a mystery. You can't work it out, you have to be told. But perhaps he refers to the, to the gospel as the mystery of Christ, because he's making the point that no one can fully grasp the magnitude of who Jesus is and what he's done. There's always going to be an element of mystery. Unfathomable. Oh, you know what I mean, that word. There's always going to be Something we can't quite get our heads around when it comes to who Jesus is. It's almost Paul speaking with reverence. He refers to the gospel as the, the mystery of Christ. Of course, the gospel is about Christ. So the first two points of the sermon today have focused on God's part in the spreading of the gospel, the need for prayer, the need for God's help. It is up to God how the gospel advances because God opens doors and God opens hearts. And God helps us to share clearly as we should. But now we come to, to our part. Point three, we're told 
Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. And this is a good moment for us to stop and think. What opportunities has God given to you to share the gospel, to share your faith with people? What doors is God opening for you? The way this thing is phrased implies that we all have opportunities to share the gospel. We're just told to make the most of all the opportunities that come our way. But the opportunities do come our way. I think sometimes we misunderstand the, a bit of the Greek construction in the Great Commission from Matthew 28, where it says, go into all the world and make disciples. It actually more has the sense of, as you go, make disciples. So making disciples is not something we, we like are going on a mission trip to make disciples. No, making disciples as we go about our daily lives, that's where the disciple making is meant to be happening. It's not something, okay, I'm going to book off, you know, an hour for evangelism on Thursday night. No, it's, it's as we go, make disciples, teach people, baptize them. How are you doing with the opportunities that God is giving to you every day? Are you making the most of those opportunities? And by beginning each day with prayer and praying about the opportunities, praying for the Lord lead you, leading you, that will help you to better spot the opportunities when they're presented to you. Who, which doors is God opening for the message? Whose hearts is God at work in? Let's be wise and make the most of the opportunities we have. And the fourth point today is about our conversation. Verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We see from this verse that we can't just be an example. <laughs> this verse is, of, is often taken from Francis of Assisi, along with the verse about him preaching the gospel to animals because he loved his pet so much. He was a great guy. He really was. From a very wealthy home, gave up everything to be a street preacher, effectively. One of the things that is attributed to him and that people often quote, he said, preach Jesus and, if necessary, use words. All I can say is that it is necessary to use words. <laughs> you can't just be the kind of Christian that is a witness because you're such a lovely person and you do your job so well. I hope you're a lovely person. I hope you stand out at work for your character and all the rest of it. But we do also have to speak. 
Let your conversation be, and I know you shouldn't use always, but Paul does. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Are you known as the kind of, as a person whose conversation is always full of grace? Are you known to be a person whose conversation is gracious? That's the very opposite of a person who's always moaning, criticizing, negative, fault-finding. The Bible commands us to be full of grace, to be encouraging, forgiving, supporting, empathetic, understanding, to see that glass of water as being half full. How can we make sure that we are people whose conversation is full of grace? Well, whatever's going on in the heart comes out of the mouth. The only way to have a conversation flowing out of you that's full of grace is because your heart is full of grace. There's another phrase that I want us to focus on here. It's about salt. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. You know what seasoning is? That's that kind of little sprinkle that you put on your food. We are not called to shove salt down people's throats, which is what some evangelism actually is. You're not a Christian? Open wide, say, ah. Oh. <laughs> our, our, our role is to, to, to just sprinkle our conversation with salt. What is salt? It adds flavor. It, it, in the old days and today, particularly if you like Bolton, it preserves things. In evangelism, sometimes less is more. What does it mean to, to season our conversation with salt? Maybe it means throwing out a, a, an innocent comment about your, a casual comment about your relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's giving a Christian take on a particular issue that people are talking about with a big smile on your face. Maybe it's just expressing gratitude to God for something He helped you with. This is how we sprinkle. This is how we season our conversation with the gospel. People often don't go from A to F, or maybe we should say from F to A, in one go. Oh, now I'm going to have to do the alphabet backwards. I'm challenging myself. They go from F to E to D. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's through these little, little things that God can use to open hearts and change perspectives. If you think you've only got one chance to share the gospel, you, you're probably not going to get it right. But if you've got a hundred little chances... It sometimes works better. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt.
so that you may know how to answer everybody. Sometimes, too, when it comes to the gospel, we need to have the answers to hard questions. It often amazes me how people will study for hours and hours and years and you know, years and years and years to gain knowledge to do a particular career. Now read thick textbook after thick textbook, go to hours and hours of lectures. But yet when it comes to our faith, what should be the most important thing in all of our lives we spend very little effort upskilling ourselves to gain a deeper knowledge of the mystery of Christ. Some people are won into the kingdom of God by cold logic. Here's a, here's a well-known example. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia series and was a professor of literature at Oxford, for many years. He describes how in 1925 he became a Christian, how he knelt and prayed, and he says, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Why does he say that? It was like becoming a Christian was, was like the last thing he wanted to do. But he was literally dragged into God's kingdom reluctantly, because he was just persuaded in the cold light of day that the truths about Jesus were right. Peter writes, we need to set Jesus apart as Lord in our hearts, and we must always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have. I've shared this story before, but I'll, I'll share it again. I think it was more than a year ago, I was asked to be part of a little panel, like vetting people that could be Baptist ministers when they graduate out of college. It's great fun. You know, they're terrified, and you sit them down in the room, and you try to kind of, you know, make them calm and all of that. And uh, there were probably about five of us pastors there. Now we're going to ask this person some questions about the gospel. So he's getting all the right answers. Okay, well, right answer, well done, right answer. And then it came to me to come up with a smart aleck question. It's not really a smart aleck question. As far as I'm concerned, it's a very profound question. And I said to this person, now tell me why are you a Christian? I think his first attempt was, no, because the Bible tells me it's true. And then I said, okay, and? And then that's where he got stuck. The church has been very good at telling people what to believe. Not always quite as good as telling people why we believe it. <laughs> and we need to be able to do both. And if you're busy raising children, particularly teenagers, we need to move away from this is what you must believe to this is why we believe this stuff. So, that's the end of the sermon. I hope you've <laughs> learned today again about the importance of prayer. Oh, let me tell you one other quick story, which I've also told before. We once had an American evangelist came to our church. 
And he told us how we should all be making disciples and preaching the word. And one of the things he twisted our arm today, and I can use that phrase because that's pretty much what it was. We all had to make a list of three people we were going to pray for. You know, pray them into the kingdom. So being on the staff of the church, I needed to at least go along with what was being said from the pulpit. So I made my little list. So I had my three names that I was going to pray for. For one of the three names, I was thinking, now, who, who can I pray for? So I actually thought of a relative of mine. You know, I mean, we should be concerned about our family members. Relative of mine. This guy is like young, super successful, big family executive at an oil company, like a couple of new age beliefs thrown in there. I'm thinking, okay, I want this guy on my list because he's definitely the last person I could ever think of who's going to become a Christian. So I started to pray for him a little bit. Not too much. I wasn't that spiritual. <laughs> so, but this was a guy on my list because I thought, okay, he's like the furthest from the kingdom. I think we were encouraged to get people on the list we, we thought would never become, become Christians. And I don't know how much longer it on from that, and I'm not saying it was all because of my prayers, but maybe a few months, or maybe it even took a year, I don't know, I get this WhatsApp from him, telling me he's really made an absolute wreck of his life, this guy that I thought was so successful outwardly, and outwardly he did have it all, he's made a complete wreck of his life, he's invited the Lord into his life, He's following the Lord, he's involved in a church, and now he's a full-time missionary. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and I can't even remember the two other people on my list, but I'm sure they're very high up now in the God's kingdom somewhere. <laughs> it's God who opens hearts. Even Paul asked for prayer that the gospel, he could explain the gospel clearly. There are challenges. We looked at the mystery of Christ. In evangelism, God does his part and we do ours. And may our conversations always be seasoned with grace. Lord, we don't find it easy to share our faith. It can be pretty disheartening at times, Lord, because... We just don't seem to have an opportunity, and sometimes it can be really hard for people to, to believe. But you said, Lord, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So here we are, Lord. Make us fishers of people. Make us your witnesses. Empower us to share the gospel. Help us to live like we're sent into this world because we are. Help us, Lord, to have hearts full of grace, conversation full of grace. Show us what it means to sprinkle in a bit of Christian truth, a bit of gospel into our everyday normal lives. Help us, Lord, as a community, and may we see many people coming to faith. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to share communion right now. So, Rick, Jenny, come and join me at the table. Elnery, if you have a song, feel free to lead us.